Hey, 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 and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. And guys, today I am excited. I've got someone on the show that uh, not necessarily in the insurance industry, but has uh, had an, an impact on that and has done some speaking engagements there. I've got the pitch whisperer on here with me, John Livesey. He is an incredible keynote speaker. He has done a TEDx talk, um, Be the Lifeguard of Your Own Life. Has over a million views. He was featured on Larry King's show. Pretty awesome, right? He's a best-selling author. He is also uh, in the middle of another book, and he has created uh, Superhero You, which is a community to help people discover their superhero power and stuff like that. It's really cool. Uh, his new book is called This Sale is the Tale, or The Sale is the Tale. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff going on, and I can't wait to dive into it in this episode. I've got a treat for you today. And this episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Smart Choice, the fastest growing agency network, hands down. Uh, no lengthy contracts, no fees up front. And they share in their bonus and contingencies. Also by my good friends over at Canopy Connect, your one-click solution to getting the deck pages you need to quote your prospects. Unbelievable. These guys do such a great job helping you, whether it's referral partners or with your current uh, prospects. And now they're doing commercials. So you can get those pesky deck pages that are hard to get. And you can get loss runs. That's right. Loss runs. Go to use Canopy dot com backslash Heath and get your demo, get your discount, all of the above. So fantastic. Now I want to get into today's show because uh, John and I have a great conversation. Um, he, uh, I'm not quite Larry King, but <laughs> we do have a great time on the show and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So buckle up, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Mr. John Livesey. John Livesey, what's going on, my man? Hello, Heath. How's being mayor of Insurance Town going for you? Oh, you know, there's there's good days and bad. You know how it is being a politician. It's you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, I get to be a fake politician, but yeah, it's uh, it's good, man. Uh, been on back to backs all day, which is good. Uh, just anytime that uh, you're productive and busy, that's a good thing for business, right? It is. It keeps the flow going. That's exactly right. Um, you've been having uh, a lot of success lately. Things have been going good for you. Yes, actually. Um, I've been speaking at different cities and different uh, topics on different industries. So that's always stimulating for me from Atlanta to Ottawa. I went from the capital of Austin where I lived to the capital of Canada. So that was kind of fun. Oh, that's awesome. And I can't wait to hear some more about those travels. And I want to dive into in a minute about how you became the the pitch whisperer. But before we get down that, that road a little bit, um, you know, talk about your TED Talk and all those cool things. I would love for you to take a walk down memory lane and tell me um, mm. who you are. Tell the audience a little bit more. We've talked, but I want them to know sure. who you are and uh, how you got to where you are today. Take a few minutes to talk to us. Well, I majored in advertising in school. I was completely fascinated by what changed people's behaviors, how a particular commercial or an ad could break through the clutter and make you remember something make you more importantly make you feel something and that led to me realizing that advertising is really just sales uh put into nice entertainment packaging 
And so I ended up having a 15-year sales career at Condé Nast, which is GQ and Wired and Vanity Fair and all kinds of brands like that. And um, things are going along pretty well until the 2008 mortgage crisis hit and um, luxury advertising plummeted and they laid off everyone outside of New York and 30% of the New York staff. And I had to reinvent myself, kind of like a silent movie actor learning how to do talkies. I had to go from selling print to selling digital and then the irony, Heath, was I got hired back after two years because I left on a good note. I didn't panic and stayed calm when I got laid off like everybody else was. And um, I ended up winning salesperson of the year against 400 other salespeople. And the big aha for me in that journey was I'm the same person, whether it's being laid off or winning this award. And that really motivated me to realize that who we are is bigger than any one thing happening to us. And so my whole mission now is to help as many people as possible Get off this self-esteem roller coaster where you only feel good about yourself if things are going great and bad if they're not. And I've now been speaking for the last uh, eight years to sales teams on how to use storytelling as a way to become magnetic instead of pushing out a bunch of facts and figures. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, you want to help people with uh, the self-esteem roller coaster. You know, talk yes. to me a little bit about what, what you've seen in that, what, what you've uh, learned. Well, first of all, I was on it and it, it's yeah. exhausting. And you only feel good, you know, and like in the world of retail sales around the holiday time, you know, those people are measuring how much did you sell uh, this hour compared to last year at this hour, because we got to make a majority of our sales between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, if you're letting your self-esteem go up and down based on hourly results, or most likely in sales, it's weekly, monthly, quarterly results, um, it really does a number on your head. And it really, it's difficult to be fresh and present for the next person that you're talking to. And so that's what I mean by getting off that self-esteem roller coaster and not let, being so attached to any one thing having to happen in order for you to feel good about yourself. Yeah, I, I say all the time, as, as I'm a sales coach <laughs> and uh, yeah, outside of being the mayor. And one of the <laughs> things that I, I tell, I say all the time is salespeople are super sensitive and emotional people in general, you know, and people that are salespeople, a lot of times the good ones are the ones that can walk into a room and just own a room. They have all this bravado and they're, <laughs> you know, they have this confidence, but a lot of times they're like a duck and underwater, <laughs> their feet are just paddling to 90 miles right. an hour and they're scared to death. I know that feeling. In fact, yeah. I decided to put faces on it. I, I call it the three faces of fear. And the first fear that we all have to deal with is the fear of rejection, whether you call 100%. yourself in sales or not, right? And for me, when I was selling advertising, if they went, oh, we're going with somebody else, I would sometimes beat myself up and say, God, maybe another rep could have gotten that yes. Or maybe what I'm selling isn't as good as I think it is. And so I tell people, don't reject yourself or what you're selling. Uh, no now doesn't mean no forever. And of course, we learn not to take the no's personally. Right. So that's the first fear I dealt with. The second one is the fear of failure, right? If I'm going to go and try something new, um, I get embarrassed or waste time and money if it doesn't work. And one of my friends said, ah, failure is just feedback. You just keep going until you get yeah. a zombie idea. It's so great, it won't die. So instead of fearing failure, just like, oh, that didn't work. Let me try something else. And then finally, the fear of the unknown. And boy, did we all go through that with the pandemic, didn't we? Yeah. Well, how long is this thing going to last? What's my life going to be like? Will things ever go back to, quote, normal? On and on. And my whole take on the fear of the unknown is don't go it alone. Collaborate. Get some help. Um, don't try to figure everything out yourself. Yeah, that was something that we all, unfortunately, I guess, or first, fortunately, however you want to look at it, we were all thrust in that together. Mm -hmm. I think, and what was even cooler to me about that, if I could use cool lightly, is that it wasn't that we were in this 
together as a country. We were in together as a world. I mean, yes. And that was one of the neatest things in my lifetime. And I'm 43 years old. I haven't found a situation in my 43 years where we've been thrust together as a world. Correct. Going through the same thing at the same time. And I found that fascinating. And I wonder what that, uh, what that, you know, did in your eyes to, you know, talking about what you're talking about, the salespeople and the sales, you know, force out there. Well, I think something that disruptive is a, a form of a death. And, you know, if you um, lose a parent, you realize that your life will never be the same when that parent is no longer in your life. And so you right. go through all the stages of grief. And I think we all went through the stages of grief. First, we were denying how long this was going to last. Then we got angry about it. You know, the stupid mass people were fighting about that, you know, and, and eventually there's, you know, some kind of acceptance of, okay, this is what it is. If I want to go out and eat, I got to show my vaccination in New York or whatever. Right. Um, so that whole process um, caused a lot of people to realize their own mortality. Right. I, I'm quitting my job. I'm life is too short to be this miserable or I'm moving out of New York or California. And in my case, I moved to Austin, Texas. Um, there's a lot of people here who are like, you know what? I moved here because of the pandemic. And I don't know that I would have had that not been an event in my life. So I find that fascinating that it is a little bit of a wake up call, like a death of a parent. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And I, that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I love some of the things that we're talking about already here early on in the podcast, because I, I love anybody that can come on like you that can provide that value immediately. And no matter what you're selling, what widget you're selling or what, you know, policy you're selling, or if you're selling commercial insurance versus personal insurance, you know, we're all in that same boat and we're all selling something and we're all having to get, we're all on this roller coaster, you know, <laughs> like you said, that self-esteem roller coaster. And uh, hopefully as a, as a society, we won't have to be on a complete lockdown like we were for that time period. But you know, uh, at least now if we are, we're prepared for some of that. Well, it also takes an emotional toll. It does. Uh, especially, um, you know, the children that didn't get to go to their prom or graduation yeah. and all kinds, you know, the I, I talk to friends of mine who are teachers and they say, oh man, these children aren't just behind in math, they're behind in their emotional intelligence. Sure they are. Mm -hmm. So yeah. um, I think realizing as a society that you know, the need for empathy and kindness is more valuable and important now than ever because of all that. Yeah. And I think uh, as this, you know, when you talk about the, any of those fears, you know, the biggest one that I, I shouldn't say the biggest, but one of the most prominent ones that I see in, in salespeople, whether they're green and brand new, or they've been in the industry, you know, 20 plus years, that fear of failure uh, mm. is one that attacks and it, it, you know, no one is safe and no one is, you know, immune from that fear of failure, in my opinion, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. And it might be, you know, fear of, you know, failure, putting yourself out there in a, in a presentation and this, that, or a fear of failure, because maybe you, you're not prepared and you don't know what you don't know, or you don't know because you haven't prepared for that event. Mm. You know, there's a big fear there. And I think some of those things we can prepare for is to use that again, uh, three times say prepare in one sentence. I don't know about that, but <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, again, I think there's some of those things that we can do to be, you know, better equipped for those moments or fear of failure. Yep. And some of those, you just have to walk into those and just have the a faith in yourself, a confidence in yourself and and just go at it. And some people, some people are just natural BS artists and they can do that and get through that. And some people aren't. 
And so I wonder, as you've studied this and you've kind of gone through this a little bit with these fears you talk about, mm-hmm. you know, is there any advice you could give to, like I said, 20 plus years experience in sales or even, you know, first right. week to get through that fear of failure? Right. Well, Arthur Ayash, the former, you know, yeah. tennis pro, tennis player, he, yeah. had a, he had a great quote about that. He said, you know, the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. Mm-hmm. So if you think of yourself like an athlete or um, some person on Broadway, those people rehearse. They're, you know, they don't wing it. And so many salespeople think, I'll just wing it. Um, I have an exercise where I work with people doing something I call stacking your moments of certainty. So I work with people and I say, write down two or three times in your life when you knew you nailed it. You got hired to get this job. You're... You know, spouse said yes to the proposal. Um, you got a big sale, whatever it is. And you write those three things down and you stack that up, kind of like an air traffic controller stacking airplanes. Yeah. And then you attach your feeling to it. Oh, I felt exhilarated. I felt proud. I felt happy. And you put that in your head before you go into a new situation so that that negative self-talk doesn't take over. We're the movie director of our own life, and we can yell cut at any time and change the location, change the cast, change the horror movie we might be playing out in our head of what could go wrong. What if they ask me a question and I won't know the answer? You know, nobody expects you to be perfect. You're not a robot. You're not a computer. Right. Um, And so when you enter with that mindset, there's, I may not know every answer to every question, and that's not going to throw my confidence off. And instead of going in with, oh, this will never work, I'm not good enough, you stack your moments of certainty and go in with that. Yeah, and I I tell people all the time when we talk about this, because a lot of things you said, I love the stacking of moments of certainty. (laughs) I haven't used it quite as eloquently as you put it there, (laughs) but I talk about, again, one of those things that you talk about is, you know, the stories sell. Yes. And when you get in those moments, whether you're selling a policy or selling your own confidence in your own mind, to be able to have those stories to remember, I had uh, one of my uh, producers I was talking to this morning. She said, Heath, I'm so proud of myself and told me the situation of what she had done and how she had made this big sale. And I was like, remember that. Capture Mm -hmm. that in your mind. Don't let it go. I don't care if you type yourself a note, put on, you know, put it in an email to yourself. Find a way to remember that because you're going to need that someday when you have one of those moments that exactly. you doubt yourself. To be able to go back and say, I remember this and this is what I did, this is how I felt. Mm-hmm. So for you, putting in that stacking moments of certainty, I may steal that from you. I hope it's not copyrighted, but <laughs> I, I do love that. Great. Well, I tell people to think of your brain like a jukebox. Uh, or a playlist, depending on how old you are. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I remember both. And so, even if you, and so instead of the right a song coming out, you need to have multiple stories ready to go, so that yeah. you tell the right story to the right person at the right time. And the whole goal of storytelling is you tell a story that somebody sees themselves in. Right. So if you're talking to a CEO of a company about getting them to buy insurance for all their employees, that's a very different story than talking to someone who might be a CEO, but now you're talking about getting their whole family insured for health reasons or an umbrella policy or something over and above what they might get at their job. That's a different story. And so you need you can't have the same pitch, the same story, no matter who you're talking to. You need multiple stories like a playlist. Yeah, I like that. And I like that you talked about being a movie director of our own life. And that, you know, brings me to, you know, so much, you know, so many feelings in my own, you know, sales career and throughout coaching and sales and whatnot. But, you know, it also, you know, makes me think, you know, you had a, a TEDx talk of being the lifeguard of your own life. I know that's a little mm. different than being, you know, the 
movie director of your own life. But what does that mean to you? And I know you've had, you know, I think it was well over a million views on that. Mm-hmm. What it's, you know, kind of give me a little bit on, you know, a snap, sure. so what that is, the lifeguard of your own life. Well, the premise is that unlike in a hurricane, when you decide not to evacuate, and you can, you know, go up on your roof, somebody's going to come by in a helicopter and save you. We have to be our own lifeguard. And I think the pandemic was a perfect example, right? Everyone had to fend for themselves, set up their own home office, figure out how to navigate things. There's just too many people for people to say, listen, having been a lifeguard when I was in school, that lesson of not panicking and staying calm when someone's drowning comes from training and practice. And so the same thing happened to me when I got laid off, that lifeguard training of not panicking and staying calm and saying to my boss at the time, well, don't you want a status report to know where these ads should be running? Even though I was felt like I got kicked to the gut. And I kept telling myself, you've lost your job, not your identity. You've lost your job, not your identity. So that lifeguard training kicked in, even at that situation, for me to even ask that question. And she said, well, everyone else is so angry, they're storming off. And that's the decision I made to leave that status report because I overrode the frontal cortex, fear-based part of my brain where I was angry or hurt of what's the future going to be like for me and stayed calm enough to ask that question because I watched my clients get married and have kids. I wasn't going to leave them in the lurch just because I had had this you know, disruptive news. And that's what led me to get rehired was because of the way I left. So I think those that's the essence of being the lifeguard of your own life is, you know, throw yourself a buoy. Yeah. <laughs> Be kind and gentle to the way you talk to yourself. No, that's really good. And and I think, you know, for you to be able to have that, I don't know what, I guess that's just years of experience, but we'll have that moment of clarity instead of, you know, what everybody else did. You were mm. able to throw yourself that buoy, that lifeline. You know, was that just something that culminated over years of experience? And what do you say to someone who doesn't have those <laughs> years of experience? How could you get someone in their first, say a 25-year-old, listen to this right, right. now. Yeah. Because so many times that there's that fear in your head, I'm 25 years old, or they just don't even know to have that. They don't know yes. what they don't know. Exactly. Well, I guest lecture a lot at the University of Texas here in Austin, and I've guest lectured at other places. So I'm very aware of what the 20-somethings feel when they're they're so afraid of what their life is going to be right after graduation. And I tell all of them, this is just the first of many disruptions in your life. This Once you figure that out, it doesn't mean you won't have, have other fears of what's next. I think it's the big thing is to realize that soft skills make you strong. Let me say that again, because our brain goes, wait, How can something soft make me strong? Soft skills make you strong at any age. So soft skills I define by emotional intelligence, your listening skills, your empathy skills, and finally your storytelling skills. So if you're in your 20s, you're probably worried about your IQ and how you do on tests. You're probably working out and trying to be fit. Um, Put as much effort as you do into that as you do into your emotional EQ. Don't just focus on your IQ. And that will build up a tolerance for being uncomfortable, whether it's taking a cold shower in the morning. You know, I'm a big believer of the stoic philosophy, put yourself in uncomfortable situations so you can tolerate them and not fear them so much. Uh, And, you know, whether that's meditating, exercising, whatever you have to do to not be in a fight or flight response all the time. So when something does trigger you, you've got some kind of base reservoir of calm inside of you. Yeah, I completely agree. It brings me to... I don't know if you if you stream much or you watch anything, but on Nat, Nat, National Geographic, there's a show called um, Limitless with uh, Chris Helmsworth, the guy who plays Thor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like what you're talking about. 
he puts himself through all of these different things, whether it's fasting or the the cold shock th- type things. Put himself in like yep. thirty two degree waters. He swam like a I don't know I forgot how many meters it was, but. And he's done uh, all kinds of different things just like this for him. It's not only helping him with what you're talking about, but it's also helping him with longevity in his life and stress and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it is getting yourself out of uncomfortable situations and and being in that moment. And, and I've read several books on this and I tried that. So uh, they talked about ice baths and doing the cold shower and the last yep. 10 minutes of your shower, five minutes or whatever, 30 yep. seconds being a cold shower. Mm-hmm. I tried it for like two days, John. I was like, oh, and so now I'm just trying three days a week. If I can do 30 seconds. Yeah, it's cold just progress. Shower. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it, it's taken over like the last two or three weeks now that I've been doing that. It's gotten a lot easier now. It's your brain goes, you're not going to die. Basically. Yeah. You know, and if I can tolerate this, I can tolerate a lot of other things in life. Somebody cutting me off in traffic is not going to drive me crazy. I've actually come up with something I call the five, five, five method. Okay. Help people become, I like it to become more resilient because let's face it, we're all going to get knocked down in life. We're going to get Here we are. rejected. We're going to get maybe even betrayed. We're going to get something that's going to aggravate us, delayed canceled flights. If you travel at all, like I do, that's just part of the, the ride. Sure it is. So I say, ask yourself, will this matter in five minutes? How about five hours? How about five days from now? If you're still thinking about somebody who cuts you off five days from now in traffic, there's a problem, right? Yeah. And so the goal is get up faster after you're knocked down because that's what resilience is. So you'd be more present for the next opportunity. If you're still thinking about somebody saying no to you or somebody saying something mean or whatever the rejection was, and you're holding on to that for two weeks, it affects your performance. And so the ability to let go of something fast, and I, when I give these sales keynote talks, I teach this. And it becomes part of their culture. So they start emailing each other going, you know what? I got this big no. We worked on this thing for months, but I'm going to five, five, five it. I'm going to let myself yeah. complain for five hours. And then we're not going to talk about it anymore. Right? We're going to let it go. Yeah. And people have really embraced this because it's easy to remember and easy to use. And I tell them it can also help you in your personal life. Like, I've, you know, some things like when my dad died, you know, I wish I had this tool because I could say to myself, you know, five days from now, yeah, you're pretty devastated still. But okay, zoom out again. How about five weeks, five months, five years from now? I'd be like, well, if my older self could go back to my younger self, I'd say, you know, five years from now, you're still going to miss him, but I promise you, you won't be this sad. Yeah. So that's a great tool for everybody, especially uh, those who fear rejection at all. I don't know, going, how can I get back up after I get knocked down in my personal or my professional life? Five, five, five. It gets some friends of yours to embrace it and start saying it to each other. So when you hear somebody stuck, I'm like, all right, dude, it's time to five, five, five that. Or come on now. Um, we're only going to be obsessed about this for five minutes, not five weeks. Yep, we're at a mid-roll ad. I hate to interrupt this wonderful program uh, with my man, John Livesey, but we've got to get into my good friends over at CoverDesk and what they can do for you. They are the premier solution for your office, whether you're looking for um, staff or looking to grow, looking for a team of people to help you. Uh, they do a great job with virtual assistants. And you've heard the names, you've heard people talk about virtual assistants or VAs, and you want to know what they are and how they can help you. 
No better time than right now. You can pause this right now, come back to it later and hear the rest of my conversation, but go to CoverDesk.com and check out all the great things they have going on. They they do a great job. I've worked with three or four throughout my career, uh, virtual assistants through CoverDesk, and every single time they're top-notch individuals that come into your agency, come on, con- they come a part of your team, a part of your culture, and uh, you, you won't know what you did with Adam for all those years. Coverdesk.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, and it's funny you say it because, you know, I've got two daughters and you know they come home and tell me about the drama that goes on no. at the playground or the <laughs> drama that happens at recess or at lunch or whatever in school. And my youngest daughter will be like, oh, you're not going to believe And She'll go on this elaborate drama that's gone on in the fourth grade. And I just, you know, I look at her and she's just distraught about it. And I'm like, honey, at the end of the day, you know, tomorrow something else is going to happen. Yeah. And nobody will remember. And so many times she'll come home and say, dad, you're right. I was so Uh, worried and upset about it. And you're right. You know, within 24 hour period, something else happened and everybody forgot about that, Yep. you know, or, you know, they had an embarrassing moment, you know, where something happened, you know, they tripped in the hallway or they did something and, or their shirt was tucked in their underwear or whatever thing it was. It's like paper on your heel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) listen, at the end of the day, you know, it's not going to be that big of a deal, you know, just let it go. Forget about it. Just act like it didn't happen and whatever. Well, if you can start teaching your daughters to zoom out like a movie director. I just never use that terminology. It's awesome. Give them a, give them a visual of what, you know, movie studios are on the high, you know, zoom camera. And we're like, I know this seems really crucial and important to you right now. It's because as a fourth grader, you usually don't see the perspective of your whole life. Right. You know, you start thinking at fourth grade is just going to be one chapter in your whole life and your chapter, your life is going to be so many chapters. This is just one day of one chapter and start giving them that perspective of, Oh, right. Yeah. I can find five, five, five this, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about, you know, sports, you know, whether it's sports analogy, we talked about Arthur Ashe and whatnot. And one of the analogies I use, I'd love to uh, move, you know, into this conversation a little bit too, of, you know, as we talk through some of this with sales strategies and whatnot, you know, if you think about it, are you a baseball guy, John? Do you do you follow baseball uh, at all? It's uh, very little. It's so funny. When I was being interviewed by Larry King, you referenced that before we started. Yeah. Um, he was a big baseball guy. Yeah. And um, he and his co-hosts were in the backseat of the car on the way to the studio and and uh, they were listening to a ba- ball game on the radio. And the co-host was trying to pull me into the conversation because I was sitting up with the driver and they were in the back. And they go, hey, are you into baseball? And I was like... Not really. I go, I'm the kind of guy that would watch the Super Bowl for the commercials because I have an advertising background, yeah. not the game. Right. And then when Larry King was interviewing me, he said, how important is it that when you tell a story, it's authentic? I said, oh, Larry, it's everything. If you're not into sports, don't pretend to be. And he no, laughed because it was yeah. a little inside joke the two of us had. So um, that's my answer to that. <laughs> that's my story. Well, yeah. about that. <laughs> no, I love that. Um but, you know, the main thing, whether you're a big baseball guy or not, but one of the things I tell salespeople all the time is even the best hitters in baseball, right. they hit Run. the ball 30% of the time and they're considered fantastic. Yeah, the RBIs, right? I know that term. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if they you get up and have a hitting percentage of 35%, mm. which is, you know, a 350 batting average, and we're over here getting upset because we lose, you know, once or we lose twice or... 
you know, in, in an insurance, a lot of times, you know, we're upset when we have a 50% close ratio. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You close and you're upset about it. You're not going to be able to win them all. And no. so again, going back to some of those thoughts and feelings that you have, once you get that perspective, or if it's basketball or if it's, you know, whatever, if it's golf, whatever the sports analogy could be, you're not going to be able to hit a home run every time. You're not going to be able to make every three-pointer you shoot. You're not going to be able to make every hole-in-one. You're not going to be able to do some of those things. And, you know, I, I just I want people that are listening to this to understand that, you know, that perspective has got to be put into place. Yes. And that is part of being the lifeguard of your own life, your judgment on yourself. You once you start comparing yourself to other people, yeah, that is the gateway to the imposter syndrome. Oh, yes. And so I tell people, focus on your own progress. I used to be a competitive swimmer, so that was my sport. And yeah. I remember one time, you know, in breaststroke, you put your head down, you take your breath, and then you touch the wall and that measures the time to the thousands of a second. And there was always this guy that beat me. And this one particular race, I beat him <laughs> yeah. by half a second. And they go, Well, you stayed focused on the wall. He turned his head to the right to see if he was ahead of you. And that extra half a second of looking while you stayed focused caused you to win. And I thought, huh. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I looked at, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, remember when Amazon just sold books? It's hard to believe. Um, he used to have 500 employees at one time. And he said, we're not going to worry about Barnes and Nobles having 5,000 employees in the brick and mortar. We're just going to focus on being the best online bookseller we can be. So I tell people, you only have so much time in the day. Right. Am I going to be focused if you're in the insurance business on being the best insurance person I can be, the best customer service I can be, or am I going to be constantly comparing myself to everybody else in the field and going my behind on my head and my this and my that focus on you and celebrate your own progress and don't let other people distract you because then you'll start feeling like an imposter or not good enough and you only compare your you're only racing against your own progress yeah i i i, I couldn't say it better I, I love that um so you know you talked earlier about um you know you, you travel a lot and you speak a lot and you know, I know you have your own podcast, a successful pitch, and you're on the Insurance Town podcast now as we're talking <laughs> to insurance professionals. Mm -hmm. What experience have you had in talking with insurance companies and insurance agencies? And have you spoken to some of those? I have. Um, Talk Hub, to me. Hub International brought me on to speak at their sales team. And um, their um, whole thing was we want to have cross selling across practice areas. And that's a common request. In many industries, including law firms, architecture firms, yeah. you know, and so I would work with them on how do you take a concept like an umbrella policy and turn it into a story. And they, you know, I we were able to craft this story of this very wealthy family uh, who had multiple homes and were skiing. And their children were skiing. And unfortunately, one of the children uh, had a skiing accident and skied over another child's foot. And that foot you know, had major surgery and major expenses. And that family was worried about being sued. And they called their agent up and said, um, oh my God, you know, the policy is only worth this much. And these bills are way over that now. And she said, don't worry, you listened to me four years ago and took an umbrella policy out that's going to cover this. Yeah. And so having that story, as opposed to just describing what the policy does, is a much more dramatic tool. And because of that, they also said, that person who is the dad in that scenario is also the CEO of a big company that has hundreds of employees. And he was so grateful to that insurance person for having his back. And that he said, come talk to me about insuring my 
employees because I would love somebody like you to be taking care of my employees because I care about them. And so we, those are the kinds of things I do when I speak at insurance companies um, that really get it out of, oh, it's just dry and high, there's, not, there's nothing interesting. The stakes are very high when it comes to insurance, whether it's your house burning down or an earthquake or whatever. So that's the secret to a good story is the stakes have to be high enough for people to care about the story. Yeah, I, I think that's, you're, you're right on there. I think, you know, going back to the old adage of stories sell, you know, as you're talking whether it's Hub or, you know, some of these other, you know, companies you've spoken to, you know, I, I think people listening to this, you know, remember those things, like, like we talked about earlier, write some of those things down, remember those, keep a database of some of those stories and be able to refer yes. back to those or create your own story of whatever that may be. And, you know, it's my show, so I can say this, but even going back to Jesus 2,000 years ago told parables yep. to be right. able to you know, illustrate his points and what he was trying to say. Yep. So stories go all the way back. So, so if you're having those moments of like, I don't, I don't believe that stories really can sell, whether you believe John or not, <laughs> Jesus did it. And you know, if you don't believe yeah. Jesus, then something's wrong with you. But no, I'm kidding. But no, so, uh, but John, I, I appreciate because I think that's – a smart, you know, a smart thing to tell, whether it's, like I said, Hub or anybody for that matter, finding a way to illustrate that, you know, coverage. Because a lot of times insurance is confusing and it can oh. be hard to explain. Um, Anthem Insurance brought me in. Okay, and said, okay. And I said, you know, here's a here's a technique for everybody selling anything, but especially insurance. Pretend you're the doctor and you're asking questions to diagnose what's going on. So if you just... Ask someone what's what's the pain point? What's the challenge? What what's your complaint? Why are you here today? That's fine. Same thing when you're interviewing somebody for their insurance needs. But if you also add this to your toolbox after they've answered all that question and you simply say these two words, anything else, you can discover some unobvious, non-obvious things that you can also address that if by not if other people don't ask that question, they don't know what else to possibly sell them or offer them. So when Anthem Insurance was interviewing me versus other speakers, um, I said, if I'm the speaker, well, I'll be opening the talk of the two-day summit, correct? Yes. Anything else going on that's going to happen during those two days that I should be aware of? Well, yes, we're going to have an improvisation session. So people on stage are going to be role-playing the doctors, and some people are going to role-play being anthem, and the audience is going to shout out objections. And I said, oh, I'll stay for that. And I'll whisper in people's ear something from my talk, because improvisation is all about yes and and keeping the conversation going. And they love that. And no other speaker had asked the question or even, and they hadn't even thought to ask a speaker to stay for that. And so during that whole process, people said, oh my God, that was amazing. Um, I wish you could be in my ear all the time when I was in the field. <laughs> right. And I told this story to Inc. Magazine and they're the ones that they said, oh, you're like a pitch whisperer. And that's where that came from. That's where the pitch whisperer mm -hmm. came from. Okay. So, you know, when, when I hear the word pitch, I immediately go... <laughs> I immediately go to the shark baseball. Tank. Oh, okay. Oh, that too. Baseball. But I'll immediately go to the shark tank. I should yes. have said baseball. But you know, there's these people, they get what 45 seconds in front yes. of some of the you know richest people and most influential right. people in business. Yep. Same thing with insurance agents. You've got maybe 30 seconds, a minute and a half. You call it your yep. elevator pitch, call it whatever you want. Yep. To make them believe. So what are some things from the pitch whisperer mm. that you could give to, again, a 25-year-old young producer or a sure. you know, experienced agent? What are some things? Here's, here's your checklist when you're telling a story, whether it's I'm an elevator, notes, sto brother. elevator story or a case story instead of a case study. 
It's the three C's. It should be clear, concise, and compelling. If it's not clear and you confuse people with a bunch of acronyms and God knows there's a lot of acronyms in insurance. They're not going to tell you they don't understand. They're just going to say no. Why does it need to be concise? Because you need them to remember your story and repeat it to other people. And if you haven't made the story concise enough, they're not. They're going to forget all the details. And finally, it has to be compelling. We need to have some emotional hook there. Remember I said the story has to have some stakes in it for us to feel something. Otherwise, it won't stick. So when you have a story... Whether it's, here's what I tell people when they say, hey, what do you do at a networking event? Does that seem clear? Is it concise? Is it all compelling? God, it sounds kind of boring. I need to work on that compelling part. You know, test, practice it, get some feedback until you have all three of those areas fine-tuned. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. Clear, concise, and compelling. And so guys, you know, take the time to write it down. If you're at the gym, you know, pause it, you know, come back to it, screenshot some stuff, whatever you got to do. But I think that that is um, that's some great advice. And, and I think- you know, if you could put the person you're talking to into the the pitch somehow, have them envision, yes. you know, picture this or imagine this or right. whatever it might be, whatever widget you're selling, mm-hmm. you know, paint a picture where they need what you're selling. Right. There's four steps to the whole case story part. Let me let me go through that really quick as well. Please. So it's the exposition, what you were just saying. You need to think of yourself like a journalist, paint that picture. Who, what, where, when, get us into the story. Um, did this happen yesterday or a year ago? You know, yeah. um, how old is this person, right? Because again, you want that story to resonate with the listener. So they go, oh, that sounds just like me. I'm a 40-year-old dad with two girls that are yeah. in fourth grade, right? Oh, okay. Um, then you describe the problem. And this is where the stakes have to be high. The better you describe a problem, the more people think, God, you know, that Heath really is like in my head. How does he know this is keeping me up at night? Um, what if something happened to my family or I lost my job or, you know, my parents need this long-term insurance and I don't don't even know where to start with that. Or there's 101 things that are keeping me up at night as a father and as a son of an elderly parent. Right. And so you describe those problems. And then obviously your solution is not just the insurance policy, but the peace of mind that person now has. Right. And then finally, the key to the fourth step is the resolution. What is life like for somebody after They've worked with you, Heath. Yep. And that's what most people don't have in their stories. So you almost have to think about The Wizard of Oz, for example. Imagine if that movie ended when Dorothy got in the balloon and she goes back to Kansas. But no, there's that wonderful scene where she's in bed. There's no place like home and you were there and I'm so grateful. And that's why that movie's a classic story because there's a resolution that we remember. So if your stories don't have a resolution... You're really missing, you're just becoming, you're an okay storyteller, but if you want to be a black belt in it, you need to have all four parts. So I think it might be helpful for me to tell a, a short case story. Well, before and, you do I, that, repeat yeah. those four again and then yeah, get sure. into it. So they could be listening for those four yep. as you tell the story. Exactly. Exposition, problem, solution, resolution. Got it. Yes. Yeah, hopefully so, you all wrote that down. Hope you wrote that down. <laughs> now tell your, tell your story. Let them listen to. Yeah. The exposition, the problem, solution, and resolution. Olympus, the camera company, has a medical division, and they brought me in to speak. And they said, you know, we have this piece of equipment that makes surgeries go 30% faster. We just don't understand why doctors aren't jumping all over that. So, well, there's no story. It's numbers. It's logic. People buy emotionally, even in the medical world, and then back it up with logic. Now, here's the story they just said. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial six months ago when he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected 
and put them out of their waiting misery. And if you've ever waited for somebody you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. He comes out, he says, good news, the scope shows they don't have cancer, they're going to be fine. Then turned to the rep and said, you know, this is why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that rep tells that case story to another doctor, another hospital who sees himself in the story and says, you know what, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. The client, Olympus, said, oh, that story gives us chills. Not only are we not telling a story like that, it never occurred to us to make the patient's family a character in the story. So as we were crafting that story, Heath, I was like, all right, 30% faster. What does that mean? What's the normal surgery? Three hours. What is it? 30% faster. Two hours. Okay, so we an hour faster. Got it. Who cares about this? Well, I guess the doctor does because he could make more money. The hospital probably does. Who else besides money? cares. Oh, I said, because my sister was in surgery. So I know what that felt like. And I go, how about the patient's family? And they're like, oh, we never even think about that. Really? We just think about the hospital or the doctor uh, or this, you know, or the, uh, okay. And so that's how that story got to be so powerful. And so the exposition is we know the doctor's name, how long ago, where the problem is clearly that patient's family having to wait. And I pull you in by saying, if you've ever waited, and even if you haven't, you can probably imagine how or know somebody who had to go through that. The solution is the doctor coming out and saying, the scope shows they're fine. But if the story ended there, it wouldn't be nearly as powerful as that dialogue with the doctor talking to the sales rep saying, this is why I became a doctor. And that's the tugging at the heartstrings that make other doctors remember why they became a doctor. And then boom, they're now selling a lot more because they're telling that story to other doctors. Love that. I do. And I hope y'all listened to that and heard that. And I'm going to, I'm going to see if I could put you on the spot for a minute and I'm going to see how quick you are at this. Okay. And if not, then we could edit. No big deal. They hear this. They hear this from me a lot. Okay. But I want to see how good you are at improv and how we're going to play for a minute. You didn't sign up for this, but we're going to do it. I like to play. Let's go. Let's put John in, in the seat of a insurance producer and you're an outside salesman in insurance yep. and you don't have to know a whole lot about insurance to know at least a way to do this. But I would like to hear you instead of just, I'm John Livesey and I sell insurance for John right. Livesey insurance. Yeah. yeah. What would be someone listening right now that's struggling with a pitch? Yeah. Like an elevator an improv pitch. 30 second pitch of how you could knock down and nail that appointment or get so that. What, yeah. Yeah. Let, let, well, I'll give you a 30 second elevator pitch that'll turn into an elevator story. You know how so many people love living the American dream, right? They get married, they buy a house. If they're blessed enough, they maybe have a couple kids. And then they start struggling with all the responsibility that they have now. They're not just responsible for themselves anymore. They got a mortgage to pay. If they get hurt in an accident, who's going to pay that mortgage? What's going to keep their kids fed? And so what I do is I come in and I give them peace of mind that if something, God forbid, happened to them, their family would not have to move out of that house and they'd be taken care of. And that's why I love doing what I do, which is helping people have some peace of mind knowing that their families will taken care of no matter what obstacles life bring up. That was awesome. Hope you guys wrote that down or listen to it or go back to this because uh, this could be forever in podcast land uh, in the interwebs to be able to listen to because that was good. And you don't even in the insurance business. But and I didn't I, even they, say the word insurance. No, you did not. <laughs> so now they want to know more and they're saying, exactly. I need to call this guy. I need to find out more. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that goes back to... And you haven't said this, and you know, we haven't talked about this, but I'm hoping I'm correct. But one of the things that I teach and talk about with storytelling is I always leave them wanting more. Exactly. The whole goal of an elevator story versus an elevator pitch 
is that you intrigue people to say that very thing. Wow, that's interesting. Tell me more. And I actually have a process for it. You know, I started it out with, you know, of course you do. (laughs) Yeah, It's a methodology. It's, you know, how is the first step because you know, you know how this winter just just seems like it's never going to end. There's another storm coming. That's how people talk to each other. The second step is you describe who you help. I described someone like you. The third step is their problem, their struggle, right? Like they're not this carefree bachelor anymore. And they suddenly wake up going, God, I got the weight of the world on me. Got a mortgage. I got kids. I got a job I can't afford to lose and something happens to me in an accident wise. And so that I, the better I paint that picture, the more people are leaning in going, yeah, that sounds like me or it sure sounds like my uncle or somebody I know. Right. And then um, you get into what you do and that's, but you see the first three steps don't even mention what you do. Right. You know how, who you help, what, what they're struggling with, what your solution is. And then, you know, something that intrigues them enough to go, oh, this isn't just a job for you. This is a calling. Love it. Love it. No wonder you're a best-selling uh, author. <laughs> no wonder you've been on Larry King, which we're a far cry from Larry King in the Insurance Town Podcast, but I'm so glad you came and joined us. Talk to me a little bit. You got a, a, kind of a, it's a new book uh, coming out, maybe? It's 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 been out for a little while, but it's a business fable. So that's what's new, is it's a story about storytelling. So fables, you know, pull us in, hence the title, The Sale is in the Tale, T-A-L-E. Yeah. Is a play on words there. And it's a story about a rep who's, you know, 30-something, struggling in a sales slump, can't figure out why, meets a wonderful person, co-worker, and she starts to introduce him to the power of storytelling, which changes his career as he, instead of being laid off, he gets promoted, and it also helps him in his personal life. And then at the very end, after you've learned and been in the on the journey, you learn all the methodologies that we just talked about in the show here of here's how I structure my case story. Here's how I structure my elevator story. Um, And it's fun because a lot of people are so invested in the characters I created that they're saying, oh, I thought this would happen to them, but it didn't. And so that's when you know you've told a good story when people start making up their own ending or anticipating a a twist that may or may not happen. Oh, wow. So I I love that. And I can imagine, you know, as I read through this book, I could probably put myself in one of those characters or probably all of them at one point in time. Yes. To be able to say, okay, I can identify with this or that character. That's awesome. That's the goal. Yeah. And if somebody wants the first chapter for free, all they have to do is take out their phone and text the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H. Got to really emphasize that P um, to six. six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, someone's like, it's not working. I'm like, well, that's the wrong word. Yeah. Uh, it's a different uh, book altogether. Um so te- text the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H, to 66866, and you get the first chapter of the book sent to you. And if you prefer to listen to a book, I narrated this as well. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> you got me on that one, John. I wasn't ready for that one. You got me. Uh, Good. So on on the sales detail, last, last, you know, tough question. You ready? I got a tough yeah. question for you. The last okay. one, and we'll end, you know, on this note, so, so to speak, sales a tale. I'm sure when you wrote this, you had the characters pictured in your mind and you probably mm-hmm. envisioned one day if this became a Hollywood movie, you got anybody pictured in your mind who would play the role of the main character in the oh, sales a tale. Funny. Um, or someone similar to this person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a young Matt Damon. Oh, okay. I like it. Yeah, I really think he's a great actor. And, oh, uh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites, man. My favorite movie of all time is Good Will Hunting. Um, yes, mine too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, and I what a story to... behind that of how he and Ben Affleck. You know, what a great story. You're exactly right. And, of course, the wonderful late Robin Williams in it. It's got everything. Oh, it does. 
It does. It does. So anyhow, no, that's also I had to put you on the spot there. I know it was a tough question to answer, <laughs> but you know, had to get that out there. But man, John, I'm, I'm glad to were friends. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. I know you add a lot of value here. I'm going to get emails a mile. Thanks for this, but I'm going to get a million emails. Bring John back and I'm going to have uh, to bug you to come back on. Thanks, Eve. You're causing all kinds of trouble for me already. I can already tell. But thank you for coming on. Any last piece of advice, any last words as we wrap up? I would say the biggest thing about being successful in life, separate from your career, is is integrate everything. You know, and the old way of selling is always be closing, ABC, push, push, push. I changed it to ABK, always be kind. And if you put that on a post-it note, I even have t-shirts I have with it on it. And I look down, I'm like, oh, that wasn't the kindest thought I could have had. Um, We've all been there. Yeah. So let's start ABKing things a little bit more instead of ABCing them. I love that. Thanks you again, brother. I, I appreciate you for joining us and for hanging out. And uh, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Heath. Thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out with me and John Livesey, the Pitch Whisperer, an incredible keynote speaker. He did a great job, did he not? Uh, I loved having him here in Insurance Town, and uh, I, I think he would be an incredible addition to your next um, event or conference or whatever. If you're looking for a good speaker, uh, bring him and I both. Why not? <laughs> Anyway, if you've got an idea for your own show, go to GetReadySetPodcast.com. Ready, Set Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into realities. Uh, keep the mailbag coming. Uh, subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show. We're a growing community, and I absolutely love it. Also, go check out my website, uh, InsuranceTownPodcast.com. We've made some upgrades to it. We've done some updates. It looks really cool. I'm proud of it. Uh, thanks to my man, Casey Nelson, and uh, his team. I appreciate it. Guys, uh, have a great week, and I look forward to hanging out with you again next week.